Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here and also online. And if you're just joining us, this is your first time ever with us, welcome. And it's going to be a little bit like you're coming in right at the end of a movie. But it's a really good part of the movie because this is the culmination of a series we've been in for a number of months called The Giant Secret of Joy. It's based on a quote by G.K. Chesterton in which he says, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And the reason that we're using that title is because what we've been going through is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has written to the church in Philippi, a church that he founded in the first century. Years before he had founded it, he had planted it, started it. And now he's in prison in Rome, probably under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the church in Philippi has blessed him by sending a guy named Epaphroditus with a financial gift, with other material possessions, things that would help him in prison. Because if you, in prison during the first century, if you didn't have somebody on the outside taking care of you, you just died there. And so he's writing to thank them. And he's also writing to instruct them and to exhort them. And the theme of his letter that's gospel-based is joy. And the power of the letter is that joy is, is being written about from somebody who's in a horrible circumstance. So joy is not a smile necessarily. It's certainly not pasted on our face. Sometimes we have a smile of joy, but sometimes we can have joy streaming with tears streaming down our cheeks because we're in a tough circumstance, but we can rejoice that Jesus is enough. There's a gospel-centered joy in this letter. So in the first chapter, he talks about getting joy from by living lives that revolve around Jesus. Instead of expecting Jesus to revolve around me, I'm revolving around him. In the second chapter, a lot of themes come up, but one is we, we gain more joy by reflecting Jesus to one another. In the third chapter, talks about a number of themes. One of them is we gain joy from relating with Jesus and intimacy and knowing him and the power of his resurrection. And now in the fourth chapter that we're finishing up, he talks about relying on Jesus. Our joy comes from knowing that he's enough. So he's finishing this letter up with a statement of gratitude as well as exhortation and acknowledgement. You guys know, you might not, you've at least heard it in an elevator, the song Lean On Me. Yes, no? Want me to sing it for you? Uh, Yeah, I know you, that would be really entertaining, by the way. Bill Withers wrote it in 1972. I think he was about, he was in his early 30s when he wrote it. But he said he was in Los Angeles when he wrote out these words. He had started playing this tune and then came up with the words to go with them. And he said, while I was kind of uh, getting this, this tune, I thought of an experience that I had back when I was in the Navy, when I was 18 or 19 years old. I was stationed in Pensacola, Florida, and I had to leave. And that was before tons of rental cars. He said, so he bought a car. And he bought a really cheap car to drive up to Virginia to visit, to visit family. So he's driving through Alabama with a cheap car, comes cheap tires. With cheap tires come tires that are not very reliable. He has a blowout on a rural road in Alabama. Bill Withers is African-American. Here he is in the deep south in the 1960s. And so he's stranded. He has no spare tire. And he's standing there not knowing what to do. And this guy comes out of the woods a white guy, 
looks at him, looks at the blowout and says, looks like you got yourself a problem. He said, I do. The guy didn't say anything else, just turned around and walked back into the woods. He didn't know, is he going to get his buddies, what's happening? And a few minutes later, a little while later, this guy came back out of the woods over this hill with a tire and tools. And he changed Bill Withers' tire, gave it to him, wouldn't accept any money. And years later, when he had this tune, this melody going through his heads, looking for some lyrics to go with it, he thought of that incident and that gentleman. And he wrote, sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we're wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. So lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. So you lean on me and it's not going to be long before I'm going to need to lean on you. So please swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, for no one can fill those of your needs that, that you won't let show. You just call on me, brother, when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. So when I'm reading this final passage that Paul writes to the Philippians, I, uh, that this, this song, Lean On Me, I mean, it comes out. It's in the Greek, I'm sure, somewhere. Just haven't found it yet. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 4, where Paul is writing to them about, hey, thanks for letting me lean on you, you lean on me. And there's this mutuality of leaning, of being generous to one another, of caring for one another. Now, if you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one out in the the foyer afterwards, just ask for it. And if you don't have one with you right now, turn your attention to the screens. Philippians 4, verse 14, this is the end of the letter. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. All right, so he's writing a thank you letter. Epaphroditus is going to deliver it back to the Philippians. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They're, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Uh, the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. It's phenomenal. The gospel is making it into the household of Caesar. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want you to go back to the anchor statement in this passage, verse 19. And my God will meet all your, what? Needs, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the foundation of this mutual leaning, hey, lean on me. The way that we're able to say that with one another, I want you to lean on me and let me tell you why. Because 
Jesus has met my needs, and, and so I'm wanting to give out of what he's given me to you. And there are times he's going to give to me from you. But the anchor is a confidence and a security that we have all we need in Christ. So how much do you need? How much do I need? In our materialistic culture in America, we always want what? More. And that incessant appetite for more distracts us from experiencing the sufficiency of Jesus and blinds us to the needs of one another because we're just wanting to get more for us and more and more. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, the, the great Russian literary giant, wrote a short story. A lot of people don't realize he wrote anything short. They just think war and peace. But uh, he wrote a short story, and here's the title. I want you to listen carefully to the title. How much land does a man need? The principal character is a peasant farmer named Pahom, a Russian peasant farmer who, and it doesn't matter how much you have, uh, it, you can be materialistic at, at any socioeconomic level. You can be covetous at any socioeconomic level. Pahom was a bitter man. He, he was a poor peasant farmer, rented out land, had to pay out of his crops for the, the rental payment and, and lived angrily, just wanted more and thought that will serve, that, that'll solve everything. If I get more, he got more land. He then got more land. Then he bought some for himself and he started getting a degree of prosperity about him, but it wasn't enough. And Pahom heard about a family called the Bashkirs who owned an immense amount of property in the region and they were making a deal with people. They were offloading some of their property and so they were offering to sell it with a very unique arrangement. He heard about it and he went to them to inquire a little bit further and get the details and they said, yeah, we're selling off. Here's, here's how it works. You pay us a hundred, uh, you pay us a thousand rubles, and you can get, you can, with that payment of a thousand rubles, you can acquire as much property as you can encircle on foot in a single day from sunrise to sunset. So you mark it out. He says, all right, let me get this straight. So at sunrise, I take off. They say, yes, you take off with a shovel, with a spade. And he says, so I start walking and I mark my way with, with a spade. You kind of mark different markers. Yep. And I make as big of a circle as I want. And as long as I make it back to you by sunset, that's my property? He's, they said, yep. They said, there's only one condition. You must make it back by sundown to the place where you started. If you do not, you do not get any property and we get your thousand rubles. Thought about it and they couldn't resist. So the next morning, the home got up and right when the sun came over the horizon, he took off. He starts marking the property. And you know, every, he, had, he would come to the point where maybe I need to turn. No, I think I can make a bigger, bigger circle. He keeps going wider and wider and the sun's going over the sky. He comes, makes it around. He's covered acres and acres and acres by now, but he's still every, he's being tempted every step of the way to, to get the circle bigger. But finally he realizes the sun's be, taking its uh, descent towards the, the horizon. He starts realizing he's 
got a very, very short amount of time, maybe just an hour left or so. And so he begins running and, and, and marching as he goes with his spade. And he arrives just in the nick of time, right before the sun sets behind the horizon. He arrives back at the place he started and collapsed and died out of exhaustion. And Tolstoy concludes, how much land does a man need? Oh, about six feet long, three feet wide, and about four feet deep. Our appetite for more blinds us to the blessings that God wants to give us as we give. And it's powerful in a community of Christ followers when we start actually relying on Jesus for what's enough. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. This is Paul, the same guy who wrote the, is writing to the Philippians. He's now writing to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth. He'll increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be, what? That was about eight of you. So that you can be what? generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So we start out, out in our lives because we love our stuff, don't we? So we get stuff early on. Then we, 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 we make a little bit, make a little bit more, more money and we start acquiring more stuff and getting more money and thinking, okay, this will be enough. But like home, we got to keep going. And maybe that's not enough. Okay, let's see. Th this should be enough. This will do it. I'll, all right. Okay, you know what? Ah, this is feeling pretty good now. Okay, we go a little bit longer, it's not enough. But, okay, so let, let's get some, all right. Yeah, yeah, I got enough now. Well, no, maybe not. Let's see here. I'm sure this, this is gonna, and we start weighing ourselves down with all of our stuff. But it's never enough. And we're accumulating in order to feel secure. When Paul says, my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Once I become confident in that, is it wrong to have stuff? No. In fact, Paul's writing to the Corinthians and saying he blesses us and it actually enlarges our amount of stuff, but he does so for a reason. And what's the reason? So that we might be, you said it out loud a minute ago, what? Generous. So he is blessing us with his enoughness so that we can say to the people around us, lean on me. You got some things going on? Lean on me because Jesus is enough for me and he's gonna be enough for you maybe through me and tomorrow, roles might be reversed. And a lot of people, I don't, want, I don't want to give this away. And we think giving 
anything away, giving our money away is losing it. Scripture says the exact opposite. When I'm giving my money away, I'm actually gaining. When I trust him and I say, okay, maybe, maybe I don't actually need all of this. Maybe I'll be generous and I'll, I'll give that away. Paul is saying, when I give it away, I actually receive. When we start being liberated by the sufficiency of Jesus, we're liberated, we're freed up. Generosity frees us. It doesn't constrict us. It frees us to experience gifts in return, privileges in return. Let me give you four that Paul addresses here. Here's privilege number one. I, I, in my generosity, I, I, I give some of my money away. I'm blessed to experience partnership with God and his purposes. Go back to the text. Verse 14, he says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid, and here's, here's a powerful phrase more than once when I was in need. They, they were persistent. They were eager. More than once, they said, Paul, we want to be involved in what you're doing in the purposes of God. John Cortinas is, is part of our body here at Northland. Uh, actually, he'll be teaching here in a couple of months. He's also, it's a Harvard MBA has written a phenomenal book called God and Money and uh, I was, he and I were having lunch this, this past week, and he told me about his four-year-old son who probably said a thousand times already in his young little life, has said to John, when John's doing anything from changing curtain rods or repairing her curtain rod or uh, replacing the wire on the weed whacker, uh, going to the mall, but his son, he says, he loves asking me, what you doing, Dad? What you doing? Can I help? When I start being generous, it's a way for me to say, God, what you doing today? Can I help? Now, God doesn't need my money. He doesn't need our generosity, but he delights in using it. John says, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I love having him join me. And every morning we think I, it, the most important thing here is my agenda. And when I start being generous, what I receive is, is this blessing of partnership with God in his purposes. So let me ask you a question. Don't answer it out loud but it's not a rhetorical question. I really want you engaging with it. Do you want to partner with God in his purposes? Don't answer out loud, just answer honestly, that's all. Do you want to partner with God in his purposes? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're gonna say yes. So here's the follow-up question. Are your finances involved in that desire or mine? Hear what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. 
And by the way, in all of this, just relax. We're not going to be locking the doors at the end of this and taking an offering and not letting you out till we get enough or anything like that. Everybody gets all just real weird when churches start talking about money. We're doing it because that's what the scriptures say. All right. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I say, yes, in my heart, I want to partner with God in his purposes, and my treasure is not involved in his purposes, my heart isn't either. I'm just saying I want to be his partner because I know I'm supposed to say that. When I write a check to a ministry or a church or an individual or I give cash to someone, my heart goes out towards them. And if my heart goes out to causes and people, my treasure will accompany them because my treasure and my heart are always together. And it's one of the most liberating things for a follower of Jesus to start to realize is that my heart and my treasure connected. And when I start being generous, I'm starting to partner with God and his purposes and say, God, my alarm rang this morning. What you doing today? Matthew 25, verse 35, Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? Clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. When I'm generous, I'm partnering with God in his purposes and I receive the, the blessing of that. But you know what? I've, I've still got more stuff. And as God begins to work in my heart and I begin to rely on him more and more, I think maybe I'll be a little bit more generous. And there's a second privilege that we receive in our giving, and it's the privilege of this, the anticipation of God's reward. So it's not just the privilege, the privilege of uh, the, the partnership with him and his purposes, but it's anticipation in his reward. Go back to the text, verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, I'm going to read it again a little bit more slowly. Pay attention to it. This statement bothers me. You know those, remember when your parents would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And you know, you're lying. You are lying. That is not true. It's, you're manipulating me. And you and I have... Uh, a filter, most, most of us do, of suspicion when it comes to any religious people, organizations talking about money. Because we su we're suspicious of motives. And that suspiciousness to me is heightened in this statement. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Get out of here, Paul. Really? Really? Our problem is we've let uh, the, the televangelist infomercial in the middle of the night frame the way that we read scripture. 
Just because passages like this have been abused doesn't mean it's not true. Abused in this way. You guys ever turned on the TV or seen one of these shows where they're saying, hey, what we're doing, got a word from God. You give, you give $10 and God's going to bless you tenfold. You'll get $100 back. You just write us a check for $10 and just look this week, God's going to give you $100. I had a buddy call up one of those hotlines and they said, how much would you like to give? And he said, I want to give anything. I'd like for you to give me $1,000 and I'm going to give you my bank account information or my address and you guys can, your ministry can write a check to me for $1,000. They said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, you guys are trying to raise money, right? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, we've... We're trying to raise money for whatever it was. He said, well, here's the deal. What you're talking about makes total sense, you know, that God blesses tenfold. So if I write you a check for $1,000, God's going to bless you with $10,000. So go ahead and write me a check, and that way you'll make ten grand off of this whole thing. They hung up. Matthew 10, verse 42, just because it's been abused doesn't mean it's not true. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You see this over and over in Scripture. That's in Matthew 10. Look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We already read verse 21 about where your heart is or your treasure will be also. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also he's saying store up for yourselves rewards he's saying it's not wrong to have stuff it just is wrong to let stuff define you and let stuff do. grip pieces loosen your grip and God's given us all these things to enjoy so enjoy them yes but have a heart of generosity and if I get generous, I receive the privilege of partnering with him and his purposes, maybe an individual or a ministry or a cause or a church, but I also can anticipate his reward. Randy Alcorn's written some brilliant stuff on money and finances, uh, a biblical approach. And he talked, he's written a little book called The Treasure Principle that's a great book. And in it, he uses the illustration. He said, say you were living during the Civil War and you were a northerner, but you were living in the South and you were making a lot of money and it's Confederate currency and the war is coming into an end. You realize that the Confederacy is about to collapse and your money's about to be worth nothing. What would you do? You would obviously convert that Confederate currency into Union currency so that it would be worth something when you get back up north. That's, that's what Jesus is alluding to. What will that reward be? Don't start thinking bigger pool in heaven or something. We don't know, but it's probably it's, it's, there's relational reward, deeper intimacy with the, with the Father, uh, greater perspective of who he is and a, a deeper appreciation and even relationally the anticipation of reward of finding out how that small gift that I made to that person who was in need and I said lean on me let me give you some money it catapulted gained momentum into something 
And so the more generous I am, the more I experience partnering with God and the more of a sense of anticipation I have of discovering the rewards of, of, of my generosity. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, you know what? Keep being generous. Keep going. Maybe give away a little more. And, he, and receive the privilege of, of worship. The worship of God's enoughness, my generosity, I don't lose, I gain. I gain partnership with God and his purpose and anticipation of his reward and, and a deeper worship of his enoughness. When I give, I'm saying, God, you're enough. I'm letting this go and I'm gonna trust you to be enough for me. Go back to the text in Philippians chapter four, verse 18. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And here's two words, they're a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. Offering and sacrifice, those are worship words. He's saying when you're giving, it's an act of worship. It's an act of acknowledging the worth of who God is and what he does in our lives. I had a mentor one time say, uh, show me prayer. This is long ago. Remember checkbooks? They're like an archeological artifact these days. Although I saw somebody writing a check this week. But to checkbooks, the, uh, the, the ledger and a check, he said, show me a person's checkbook ledger and I'll show you where their heart is and I'll show you what they really worship. Worship is worthship. What do we ascribe the most worth to? Everybody's a worshiper, not just church people. We all worship something and we all sacrifice for whatever we worship. It costs us something. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So let's worship and do not forget, and he's not taking a lunch break here. Part of that is do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Those sacrifices of giving to others is a sacrifice of worship. So the way that I'm handling, and again, I could have a little or a lot, the amount of stuff a person has does not determine whether they're materialistic or not. Some of the least materialistic people that I know are some of the wealthiest, and what, what prevents them from being materialistic is their generosity. And I know people that don't have much and are very materialistic. And what causes that is a lack of generosity. Granted, more often than not, the less we have, the more generous we are. Statistically, you see that. People that have less usually give more. But the American church, as the American church is growing more and more wealthy, you realize that we give less in the American church per capita. We give less now than was given in the great, during the Great Depression. because we're keeping our stuff. And we think, okay, this will be what makes me happy. I'll say, no, what's gonna bring you joy is giving it, giving it. In Mark chapter 12, there's a fascinating verse. It says, 
Jesus sat down, verse 41, Mark 12, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. <laughs> Jesus deliberately sat down so he had a, a view and could see who's giving what. Why? Because he's being nosy. It would be the equivalent of him being out in the foyer, just kind of standing right next to the kiosk, you know, where many of us give our tithes and offerings here. What's up with that? Why was he doing that? Our money and our hearts are connected. And I hope I relaxed you a minute ago telling you we're not going to lock the doors. It's not, this is not going to be some big fundraising effort. It's simply us as his people saying a key to joy is generosity. And understanding that scripture speaks much about money. Throughout the Bible, there are about 500 verses dealing with prayer and faith. There are over 2,000 dealing with money and possessions. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, one out of every six verses is dealing with money and possessions. Of the 29 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them are dealing with money and possessions. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did heaven and hell combined. Why did he sit so he could see the offering and people, what, what people were giving? Because he knows that's so connected with our hearts. It has everything to do with what we worship and what we're ascribing worth to in our lives. And we become what we worship. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, David says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God my burnt offerings. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So the notion of sacrifice, worship costing me something, uh, sometimes it's important to say, okay, do I give a large gift or a small one? If I won't feel the impact by giving this, maybe I should give this. It's something that's just between you and God. That's some of what Paul is referring to with that sacrifice of praise. And when I give, keep giving, I mean, there's a fourth privilege that comes. It's not just I, I receive, I'm giving away, but God's a debtor to no person. So when we're generous, we receive this amazing uh, sense of partnership with God and his purposes and an exciting anticipation of, of how he's going to use that and rewards and uh, worship that becomes deeper and more authentic. But I also receive the provision of his blessing. I'll just mention it one more time. Don't let the abuse that we've seen in some religious circles blind us to this, that when I'm generous, I can expect God's provision in my life. You're saying, could you, can you expect that more when you're generous than when you're not? I think the scriptures speak to that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Maybe not our wants, but needs. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. You're going to be real nervous reading this. Put aside the abuse and simply look at the, abuse, the way that religious people have abused it. And let's just hear Jesus. He says, hey, give. And it will be given to you. 
not, not just doled out, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Is he saying that when I give, I receive? Yes. Now, is it always that I receive money in return? No. It's, it's the blessing of God in any number of ways. A lot of times we think our giving is, is governed by the amount we receive. Actually, it's the other way around. Our, our receiving is governed by the amounts that we give. Doesn't it make you nervous? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a skeptic, I'm a cynic. And I have to get past all of that stuff, the way it's been abused, and hear the word of God. So here we go, here's another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Huh. When I give, when I'm generous, I receive the privilege of the, priv of the provision of God's blessing. I had a friend one time who was in, I didn't know this until after the fact, he said, yeah, I, I wrote a check to a, a ministry and it was the last hundred dollars that I had, it zeroed out my checking account. But I felt like that was what the scriptures say. And he said, I didn't, I, I, I was confident that God would provide for me. I didn't, I wasn't expecting to get a hundred dollars back and or any of that, you know, magic stuff. Just saying, God, here it is. This is the last I've got. Now, it is a lot more easier, right? I, I can move easier than with all that other stuff. I'm a little bit more free, mobile with less stuff, but there might be times that God will lead a person to even give that. Basil, one of the Cappadocian fathers in the fourth century, he wrote this. And if you have only one remaining loaf of bread and someone comes knocking at your door, bring forth the one loaf from your store, hold it heavenward and say this prayer, which is not only generous on your part, but also calls for the Lord's pity. Now that's a fourth century rendering of pity. It's not how you and I would interpret it. It's the Lord's mercy, the Lord's bounty and blessing and response to you. Here's the prayer. He says, Lord, you see this one loaf and you know the threat of starvation is imminent. But I place your commandment before my own well-being and from the little I have, I give to this famished brother. Give then in return to me your servant since I am also in danger of starvation. I know your goodness and I'm emboldened by your power. You do not delay your grace indefinitely, but distribute your gifts when you will. What's he saying? He says, God, I trust you. And he's responding to Christ's exhortation in Luke 16, verse 11. So you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Who will trust you with true riches? A lot of people, they really want spiritual blessing in their life. Is this saying that how I handle my stuff is directly related to my spiritual blessing from God? Yes. And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Everything I have, I love talking to people about tithing. They know that 10% thing. And so the question is, how much of our income is God's? And some people say 10%, but you know what the correct answer is? 
100%. And it's a, when we clutch our stuff, it chokes the life out of us. And for a follower of Jesus, the most natural thing for us when we're relying on Jesus is to be generous. Generosity is, is supernatural. It's very natural for somebody who's walking in the spirit. Eugene Peterson, somebody that has mentored me primarily through his writings, although I have had opportunity to spend some time with him on a couple of occasions. He wrote a book called Run With the Horses. He's the guy also who translated the message. But in his book, Run With the Horses, he talks about being on a sabbatical for some study time up at his home in the Northwest. And he was sitting by a pond and he noticed a, a, a parent swallow. He assumed it was a mama swallow or, or a sparrow sitting on this branch and with three baby sparrows that had just gotten out of the nest. And all of a sudden he realized, oh my word, this is their first flying lesson. They've just come out because he noticed the first little jig come out of the, the nest and mama bird began nudging. And so she got them all three on this dead branch that's over the water. And she got on the branch between them and the trunk of the tree and she started sliding. You know, the first one bumps into the second one, second one bumps into the, the third and the third one's getting real near the end and stops. But mama bird keeps going and boom, has four feet to figure out how to fly. But amazingly, the wings go out. Huh, imagine that. Second bird, the second baby, same thing. Mama bird keeps going out. The second one falls off. Doesn't fly off, falls off. But midway through, that, that four foot drop, just naturally, that's the way that they're made. Opens the wings and flies. Now the third one has seen what's happened to his brother and sister and says, this, this, this ain't gonna happen with me. It was a bit more stubborn, kind of like one of my sons. I won't tell you which one, but his initial is Stephen. And <laughs> so moving out, the mama bird gets that third one, the last one, and he's, he's there at the end and he's holding on, but her bulk is too much and he knows he's not gonna win this. So he relaxes his talons, but not, he doesn't release, he just relax them enough to swing underneath the branch. So he's dangling there and that way she can't push him. So then she starts pecking on his talons. And he, one goes off and then she pecks on the other. He lets go, same thing happens, spreads his wings. And, you know, birds have talent, they can, they can clutch, and they can walk, and we can clutch. But you know what we're made for in the gospel, in our recreation? We're made to give. It's the most natural thing in the world when I'm saying, Jesus, you'll take care of all my needs. No wonder Paul culminates his letter with an exhortation for generosity because being generous is one of the most joyful things a follower of Jesus will ever do. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for giving and giving sacrificially and giving your all to us, lavishing us 
Not for us to hoard, not for us to be buckets, but to be conduits, to be pipes, to be generous and willing to share because you've blessed us. You've given us all things, your word says, to enjoy. So we thank you for the blessings, the financial blessings. We enjoy those things. We're not entering into some anti-biblical posture that says material possessions are evil. They're blessings. May we enjoy them and not be controlled by them. And instead, may we be controlled by your lordship and your generosity over us. And as a result, may we say to this community and may we say to this world, lean on me. And I pray this in the name of the one who's the author of joy. Amen. Amen. All right. Before we go, we got to close this Philippians journey out. I don't know. What do you think? Maybe we sing lean on me. What do you, what do you think? Stand up. Let's go.